You are listening to audio recorded at the Village Church. For more information, go to villagechurchbaltimore.com. I don't know about y'all, but it's just glorious to hear the, the scriptures, the words of God spoken, just a few of the language. Yeah. And I, I apologize uh, just ahead of time. I know I'm guaranteeing that uh, just with the number of different people, groups, and, and tribes and cultures represented in our one village community, I'm sure we missed some different heart languages here. If you would ever like to read, uh, please let us know. We just want to celebrate some of the diversity of how God has created us. And, you know, we think about part of uh, the resurrection. So just if this is newer to you, when we uh, come together as a church, in a sense, we celebrate the resurrection every week. That's why we gather on Sundays to worship, because it's, it's, it's like a mini weekly celebration of the risen Jesus. But uh, we get to also do that in a special way on Resurrection Sunday, this Lord's Day on Easter. And um, the resurrection, it changes everything. Like that's, that's, it's, I know Christmas gets all the pub and you get presents, so it's hard to beat that. But really, the central linchpin of our faith is the death, burial, and resurrection of the risen Lord. That's really what the Christian faith is about, and it changes everything. It even changes what it means to be a people, what it means to be a community, what it means to be family. Because what family means is we all have our family of origins, but as we heard here, we're also a family made up of so many different, beautiful backgrounds. Coming together, wonderfully diverse, yet also unified in the amazing work of Jesus. And it's awesome. It, it's tremendous. So if, if you're here for the first time, uh, just really welcome. Um, we know Easter is a wonderful time to visit a church, uh, but it, it's still scary. And if this is new to you, we, we hope this isn't too... Don't worry, if you didn't understand what people were saying there, no one did. So, uh, But we try to walk together to help one another to be able to know who Jesus is. A couple of exciting things have happened around. If you noticed in the back, we had a food drive going on over the past month or so. Part of what it means to celebrate the resurrection is that this faith that we hold to so dearly, it doesn't ever just stay with us. It's always meant to go work outward. And one of the things we did was um, just collectively bring together our uh, gathering food for those who could benefit from that. And we want you to know, being part of this community, the resurrection means we offer hope to our community. And if there are ways that you're excited about how you want to be part of that, please let us know. We had uh, Easter egg hunt yesterday. I saw some of the pictures. Uh, cute little, again, I love fat babies, so just seeing little guys running around, uh, just, it, it's a reminder of hope, and this whole Easter season, again, it's meant to be how we experience throughout our life, not just once a year, uh, because we live in a weird world. We live in a weird world where it's not really all about Jesus, and, and I, I guess that sounds normal, but that's, it's like, we believe that God is at the center of life and life makes sense that way, but uh, life is not always centered around Jesus. In our country, at least, I think one of the things the world often does feel centered around is uh, football. And we know we have people from different countries, American football, because that doesn't make sense to uh, many other people from different parts of the world. But uh, even if you're not familiar with football, though, you probably are familiar with one name. His, his name is Tom Brady. And please don't boo if, if that's... If you're inclined to do that, this is a day of peace, right? We can, we can even love Tom Brady. Not really, but we can. 
But whatever you feel about him, though, um, it, was, it was pretty crazy because earlier this year, he announced his retirement on February 1st after seven Super Bowls, decades. And part of me really appreciated him because he's just a little bit younger than me and he was still playing with all these dudes who could be his kids. It's, it's amazing. But he finally retired on February 1st. And one of the stories that came out of that was the last touchdown ball that he threw in his final playoff game, 55 yards. Um, it was sold at auction for $518,628. Yeah, six, six digits, right? Some of you who have no interest in things like football, that's exactly why. You're like, this country has lost its moral center. Who is paying $518,628 for a piece of leather? And, 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 um, this was sold at auction on March 12th. And I imagine the person who got this was just like, yeah, I got the last touchdown ball. Until less than 24 hours later, Tom Brady unretired. <laughs> I have a ball that has no value at all. It, it was just this craziness. But the reason why I'm sharing that is last week, I actually learned, and I think it took a little while to finalize some of the details, but the sale was voided. Like the person who got that $518,000, $628 football, they arranged that he would get his money back. I'm just imagining it was a man because it's a little crazy to do that, right? Um, but the sale was voided. I mean, real happy for that guy, right? But for me, the reason that story was so shocking was it, it, it's like so often that the world doesn't work like that, right? It's kind of like, Caveat emptor. You know, it's like, you, 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 you be careful because all sales are final. Once you've put it down, you know, there's no refunds, no returns, because usually final means final. That's the way the world operates, except for Costco. That's why Costco's wonderful, right? But I'm not getting paid, don't worry. But I, this idea of things being final, it's a tough lesson in life, and, and you know, one that comes fairly early for, for a lot of us. Um, you know, I love looking at the little ones. One of the things that I get real nervous around little kids, though, is when they have ice cream cones. Because when they got ice cream, and some of these ice cream, it's like the big old ice cream on top of this tiny little cone, and you're like, that's not going to work with physics, right? That's not going to hold that, because that requires, like, adult-level, like, balance to be able to keep that on there. So, don't, But kids are running around with it and leaking all over, and you're like, oh, that thing's about to fall over any second, and boom, it always does, right? Falls in the ground. And when you're young, you're like, okay, cool. Ice cream on the ground. I can still eat that. But a decent parent to be like, no, 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 that's done. You're done with that ice cream. Some of you are having trauma right now because I remember eating off the floor or something. We'll, we'll talk through later on our, uh, together. But most times you're like, you have to learn quickly. Once that falls, it's done. Final is final. That ice cream is done. And, and this kind of like lesson in life, it gets a little bit more, feels a little weightier as you get older. Things like uh, you, you fail that test, no matter how much you cry, no matter how much you said your dog was hurting, the exam grade is final. That, that job that's lost because, you know, you did something that you weren't supposed to do or you didn't measure up or you weren't aware. Once it's gone, it's, it's gone. Maybe for some of us, relationships get broken. It feels like it's beyond repair. Maybe financial decisions. There, there's no refund on that. Maybe even to probably the extreme of these lessons in losing loved ones. 
and recognizing, you know, there's just no coming back from that. Like once that happens, it happens. And it's deeply painful. And in a world that's final like that, I want us to look at our passage that we heard read today. Because I think there's an incredible story of uh, the nature of hope. So let me pray for us as we enter this. Lord, thank you for just this whole day. And, and, but really, Lord, give us eyes to see a whole life of celebration at the resurrection. It changes everything. And God, it even changes the things that we believe are gone and lost. So God, I pray if that's applicable to anyone in here today, Holy Spirit, just prepare our hearts to hear whatever you want to say to us and guide us through your word. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. And we had that latter part of chapter 15 just uh, read there in, in these beautiful languages. And I'm not going to read it all again, but pretty much the reason I wanted us to look at this was when we talk about the death of Jesus, this is not some just mythology. It's not just some nice tales. It's not just like more fiction. There are various sources that show us this is documented history, that there was a man named Jesus. There were actual people involved, and he was buried in the ground. And actually, a lot of scholars don't even dispute that part. Chapter 16, they're going to dispute. People don't dispute that there was a real man named Jesus, and, and we try to show you through as many different ways possible. This really happened. There was a man, Jesus, who did all these things. And again, as we might even differ on some of the details of it, we don't disagree on the idea that there was a Jesus. And as we see here, he went through everything that a normal person would go through when their life ends on this earth. All the burial rituals, all the different people that are involved and needed to do that. And even his closest followers were watching all this going on. And I imagine just like if you've walked through the loss of someone, you just can't process life at that time. I got to imagine that's where they were. So let's pick it up in chapter 16, verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they could go and anoint him. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they went to the tomb at sunrise. They were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone from the entrance to the tomb for us? Looking up, they noticed that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side. They were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he told them. You were looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. See the place where they put him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you. They went out and ran from the tomb because trembling and astonishment overwhelmed them. And they said nothing to anyone since they were afraid. So I, I think what, what we're trying to show you guys is these women... They didn't go there like some of us did this morning for sunrise service to, ra to praise the risen Jesus. And epic, by the way, if you missed it, sorry. But next year, they didn't go there for that purpose. They didn't bring a guitar or whatever else they would have played in those days. We're getting ready to praise and Christ is risen. No, they, they were going there um, not in anticipation of anything beautiful. They brought spices because they were getting ready to go anoint a body. They were expecting, yo, uh, we, we just some women. How are we going to push this big old stone out of the way? We didn't think this through well, guys. They were going to honor the dead. That, that was their purpose. I imagine some of that, maybe for these women and many others, were, I got to think, when you were walking with Jesus, one of the marvelous, amazing things must have been how different he was than anyone else. 
not just in how nice he was, but how powerful he was. And when he started talking about things like raising from the grave, um, maybe you started to actually believe him. You're like, this guy's crazy in a good way. I've met bad crazy, but this guy's good crazy. Like this is power like nothing we've ever seen before. Nothing take bread and fish and turn it all into, um, you know, old country buffet. Like it's just, he makes all you can eat out of nothing, right? He heals people. He even brought a man from the dead before in Lazarus. So, yo, he, he's different. But maybe there was a heartache when they're walking to this tomb and, and Jesus, who was always so extraordinary, he died just like everyone else. And, and they were probably just doing what duty called and, and honoring his memory with uh, ceremonial purification rites just to honor this man that they loved. I mean, no wonder then when they encountered what they encountered there, it, it was shock because there was no body. I mean, it doesn't seem to be that their first thought was, he is risen. It's like, yo, who the heck stole his body? Who got in here? Who moved? They got to be some big dudes because they moved the stone and they took his body away. Who took our master? Verse eight, it says there was astonishment and trembling. And, and as much as Jesus talked about that he was going to die and on the third day be raised from the death, when it actually happened, it didn't seem that they had the ability to process what happened. And we don't talk much about this, but probably they were in trauma, right? They had experienced just a tremendously traumatic week. And when you're in trauma, you can't picture, you can't imagine what's going on. We can easily look at these women and say, what's wrong with them? You know, where's their faith? I'm like, they had just gone through within a few days, the arrest, the beating, and the murder of, of, their, of their Messiah, of their teacher, of their rabbi. They're probably traumatized. And then now this, it's more than our brains can comprehend. They freaked out. And maybe some of us, they, they, like you and me, they live in a world where bad things happen and final means final. And most of us, if you get old and grizzled enough, you just learn to deal with it, right? Maybe when you're young, you're like, oh yeah, it'll get better. By the time you're old, you're like, no, that's what life is. <laughs> life stink. Talk to people, that, 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 you start to notice that, right? But guys, what the resurrection offers us is this wonderful hope that not even death was final. Jesus wasn't just about multiplying bread and fish. He wasn't just about repairing some people's legs or, or body parts. He was about actually conquering death. That even this seemingly, I mean, what's more permanent of a curse than death? Even this permanent curse of death could be reversed, could be brought back. And that's the glorious promise that we celebrate to this day. If you ever wondered why do Christians get all hype up on this Easter thing? It's because this is why we have hope even in the darkest of times. That even death could not hold this Jesus down. Amen? That's resurrection power. So that's all beautiful. But amid all that, look at this one detail from the story that I think could be easy to overlook at times. Because um, we see the women's response to the empty tomb. That makes a lot of sense. And then we see this powerful declaration spoken by the angel. He's risen. He's not here. Then we see these instructions that are given to the women. Go and tell the disciples. And, and so look at that carefully in verse 7. But go tell his disciples 
And Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. Did you, did you catch that there? But go, tell his disciples and Peter. I'm, I'm just, side of me thinking, if you wanted other disciples, say, yo, why, why Peter get his name mentioned? And Peter, maybe if I can paraphrase a little, it's like, don't stay here. Go tell Jesus' closest followers and make sure Peter hears too. You gotta make sure Peter hears this good news. And for some of you, are like, okay, I, I got and Peter. It helps to understand a little of the context of why this is so meaningful. Look, look um, a chapter back in Mark chapter 14. What happened just a few days earlier, starting verse 66. This was after Jesus was arrested. While Peter was in the courtyard below, one of the high priest's maidservants came. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with Jesus, the man from Nazareth. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about. Then he went to the entryway and a rooster crowed. When the maidservant saw him again, she began to tell those standing nearby, this man is one of them. But again, he denied it. After a little while, those staying there said to Peter again, you certainly are one of them since you are also a Galilean. Then he started to curse. And if any of you ever cursed in church by accident, go to this verse right here. Say, Peter cursed too, right? Then he started to curse and swear. I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately a rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered when Jesus had spoken the word to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. So picture in your mind what's just gone down a few days earlier. Peter, who was willing to cut off some poor soldier's ear to fight for Jesus, who was ride or die. He's like, I ain't like one of these other jokers. They ain't never going to arrest you while I'm on the watch, Jesus. To a little girl who's calling him out, he's like, I don't even know the guy. And he throws in like an F-bomb just to make sure that it's like clear. Try to imagine what Peter must have been feeling. Yo, I was one of his boys. I just denied him. I just, I didn't even say he's, I didn't even say he didn't do what he said. I said, I don't even know the man. Just imagine the failure he's walking through. How you come back from that. And maybe some of you can identify with Peter. Um, because I know some of us, I know I'm there, oftentimes crippled with shame and guilt over what you've done. For some of us, maybe it's like decades ago, but still it haunts you. Maybe it's not even decades, maybe it was yesterday. And you're like, man, I should know better by now. Why did I do that? Why did I, allow, why did I get into that place? How did I let that happen to my family? How, you know, all of these different questions. And for some of us, maybe we... You've just seen how your choices have left you at a certain place in life. Like the last place you want to be is church because you feel, why would I want to go there? They're just going to make me feel worse about what I've done. And, and you, can, you can look back and you can like too easily list off all the mistakes you've made. And maybe it's not mistakes you've made. Maybe it's ways people have actively hurt you. For some of us, it's not that we've done those things. It's like people have actively caused harm to us. And maybe if you're there in a, in a victim or survivor capacity, you're questioning, why did I let that happen to me? 
Why did I trust those people? Why did I put myself into that kind of situation so that something that horrible could happen to me? Why wasn't I stronger? Why didn't I say something? And just guilt and shame, whether you've done something or something was done to you. Maybe we even say at moments as you watch some of these sci-fi movies that time travel and you're like, man, if that could just be true, I wish I could just do this over again. Maybe some others, and in, in, even in this room here, maybe you've actually lived life the way you're supposed to. Like when you hear a preacher talk about, oh, repent of all the bad things you've done. Like, no, no, straight A's. I've, I've listened to mommy and daddy. All, I've, I've done everything. But if you're just honest with your heart, you've done everything you're supposed to. You've jumped through all the right hoops. But those quiet moments, maybe at night, you just look at your heart and sometimes you just feel still, why am I still feeling so lacking? and empty. And I've gone to the right places. I've worked hard. I'm with the right people I'm supposed to. I even stink and go to church. Why am I still feeling this emptiness in my life? And maybe for different reasons, you also live in regret. Maybe you look at some of the decisions you've made and you do a lot of what ifs. A lot of what ifs. And it gets scary to go down that road, but you do a lot of what ifs wondering Am I living a lesser version of my life than I was supposed to? Did I settle for like less than what God wanted me to because I just didn't hear him correctly? So whether, whether it's like you've done things actively against God or whether things have been done to you, or maybe, maybe you've lived the way you're supposed to, but you're just feeling the sense of, but I still feel like this regret in life. I wish I could do it again. If you experience anything like that, I imagine Peter sitting in this room with you and going, hold my beer, man. <laughs> like, because no one jacked it up like Peter did. No one wrecked his life like Peter did. I mean, you might have disappointed Jesus. And, you know, if, if that's how you're feeling, let's talk, right? But maybe you feel that weight of, like, falling short of what you feel Jesus is calling to. Yo, you didn't walk with him for three years. Share a meal with him. Smell his breath. Like be around him, see his miracles, be actually trusted by him to be one of your leaders and then deny him. I'm guaranteeing you, you did not do that. Imagine how Peter's feeling when his last memory he has of Jesus is denying him. And in one of the accounts, it says that Jesus looked right at him. Whoa, craziness. Imagine that. And then think about the significance again of those two little words in Mark 16, and Peter. And Peter. Because you need to know this book of Mark, it was written by a guy named Mark, but his leader was Peter. Peter is the one who's recounted all these stories. So you know there's a reason why it's saying, and Peter, because Peter wants everyone who's ever going to hear about the story to know what he experienced from the Lord how much he screwed it up. No whitewashing, no like trying to make it look prettier. Blatant, here's how I screwed up, but here's how the Lord welcomed me back. All the disciples, but Peter too. It, it's like in the context of all he must have been going through to hear from these women, yo, the angel said you too, Peter. The angel specifically said your name. Can you believe that? It's like all of heaven had had 
a front row seat to watch Peter reject Jesus. It's like everyone was watching. They had front row seats. Oh, no, Peter, no. Oh, Oh, man, this is not going to end good. I thought he was one of the good ones. Like, it's like everyone had seen that. But then it's like all of heaven now is involved in helping him to become restored. You mean we get to tell him? You mean... He, he didn't lose this all? You mean there's another chance for him? Seriously? It's like the message is make sure Peter knows that he has not disqualified himself. Make sure Peter knows he is not left out of this good news. Make sure that Peter knows this one failure, and it was a doozy of a failure. I mean, let's not minimize, right? It's a big one. But his failure doesn't have the last word, Jesus does. Peter's failure doesn't get to say who he is. Jesus does. Because what the resurrection boldly proclaims is final is not what we thought final is. Final is not what we thought it always was. And, and you know, you read it on your own because it's epic. But this knowledge, it transforms Peter's life. He goes from that guy who was huddling around, scared to death of a little girl cursing so that he wouldn't be as he goes from that guy afraid to tell the truth to this preacher who boldly calls thousands to new life he's scared of no one because peter embraced the good news of his legacy that his legacy who he was it would never be defined by his greatest failure the resurrection meant peter had another chance at life And guys, it's tremendous news for Peter, but it's also really good news for us here. And this good news is available to all of you. So I want to make clear here, because we're not into like a a magic wand kind of, um, I'm not saying all the hurt and pain and consequences of things that maybe we've done or that have been done to us. It's like suddenly magically just gets like goes away, because I think that would be actually a little insulting, especially if you've had harm done to you. And again, we're not going to like talk about that in a way like everyone got to talk about it. Some of you have been legitimately harmed by someone. It would almost be a little insulting to say, oh yeah, resurrection makes everything new. No one, Um, I'm not saying that. Sometimes we got to live with the real pain of being in a broken world, of hurting others, but also others hurting us. Um, Because for some of us, this thing called life, it feels awfully jacked up. Sometimes for some of you, every day is a struggle getting up in the morning because of things that have gone on in your life. Some of that is the wrong that's been done to you, but the reality is, and this is probably harder to talk about, some of that is also because of us. Sometimes the pain that we endure, the hurt that we experience, it's because of this thing called sin. It's like we have a part in that. So the Christian faith, it's not about ignoring that pain, but the good news of Jesus is that there was someone named Jesus who entered this world of hurt to redeem it, to rescue it. That there was a significant cost to our broken lives and we should never minimize that. Our sin has far more destructive power than we probably give it credit for. It's like tremendously hard, but the good news of Jesus is that he's so generous is that he paid that great cost fully by the sacrifice of his own life. Like he paid that cost. Jesus hurt, so you don't have to. He conquered loss in a way that you couldn't. So in a world where we all fail, 
where we make mistakes, where we do dumb things, we hurt other people, where other people do dumb things and they hurt us, where we are crushed by the weight of our guilt and shame and regret, the good news is that we can actually own our failure. We don't got to run anymore. We don't got to compensate. We, gotta, we don't have to cope. We don't have to impress other people. We can own our failure because we know that in Christ, our failure no longer has the power to condemn us. That's good news. The resurrection tells us that the curse of finality is broken. Things that have felt like it's always going to be that way, what the resurrection tells us is, no, 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 son. (laughs) There's a way back from this. Because for those who trust in Jesus, and this part, it, it takes some faith. I'll just acknowledge. But for those who trust in Jesus, even the death of our mortal bodies is not final. Because Jesus conquered the curse of death and he promises eternal life to those who find their life in him. And if you're not a Christian, honestly, I'll be real here. Some of you who are not Christian, you don't need Jesus to be a better person. You're better than some of the Christians in this room. That's quiet, right? You don't need Jesus to be more moral. You don't need Jesus to have a cleaner mouth. You don't need Jesus to make better life decisions. You don't need Jesus to be more financially responsible. I know a lot of it. And that's where sometimes we lose sight of the fact that Jesus is just about making our life better because some people, you don't need Jesus to do that. You, your life is epic. You're killing it. But the one thing a good life can't do is rescue your life when it's gone. And that's the one claim that the Christian faith makes, that even when your body dies, as, as if everyone's body dies, and science hasn't figured that one out yet. But when your body ends, the Christian faith, the good news of the gospel, the miracle of this risen Savior says, your life is not over. You don't live under the curse of that. You're actually going to be blessed. And that's the hope I offer to you if you're exploring this Christianity I think it'll help you to be a better person, but guys, it's not just about that. It's about something you can't do in your own power. Because for those who trust in Jesus, Jesus conquered the curse of death. He promises this eternal life because the resurrection is God's emphatic statement that as much as our experience seems to say otherwise, God wins. As crazy evil as death even seems. And some of you, you know, two too much what I'm talking about. There seems nothing more final than that. But the resurrection says, nah, even in that, God's got last call. God wins. What seems final in life? Maybe for some of us, especially what looks like our failure. Maybe some of you are crushed under failure in your life, however you would define it, that looks like it's just, that's the final call. Professionally, relationally, physically, whatever it might be. But what seems final, even failure, no longer defines the Christian, but Jesus does. And knowing how God sees you allows you to live courageously. When you know this is how, what do you think made Peter be able to preach to thousands of people, not fear them all? Because he basically bleeped Jesus to his face and Jesus still said, come home. And when you know you that loved, that forgiven, who are you going to fear? Who can mess with you? When you know that the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the one who conquers sin, death, and the grave has said, no, you're still with me, dude. You're still mine. 
Who are you going to fear after that? You can live courageously. So practically, just a practical application, what are some things in your life that has felt final for you? What are some things that you sit in guilt, regret, shame? And let's just make it practical here, just from this story. Maybe for some of us, maybe for many of us, it's relational regret. Because some of us, we live like, well, some of you don't, but some of us live like really moral lives. Like you do the right thing. You, you, you are a good citizen. But the one thing being a good citizen does, it doesn't prevent us from having broken relationships. That's one thing like cross-cultural, right? Doesn't matter socioeconomics, doesn't matter ethnicity, doesn't matter which part of the world you're from, it doesn't even matter what religion you are, you have conflict, you have broken relationships, you can't get along, spouses can't get along, children and parents don't get along, people in church don't get along, coworkers can't stand one another, neighbors are fighting over whose hedge that belongs to. Like we are, part of our curse is conflict. So maybe for some of you, the regret that you might experience in life is centered around some kind of relational breakdown. Maybe you're like Peter and perhaps resurrection application for you needs to be, if I know Jesus accepts me like that, like he does Peter, maybe I need to make some amends on this because I have hurt some people. Maybe I need to stop making excuses for why I talked the way I do, why I said the things I did, why I acted that way, why I harmed that person, why I let my temper get away with me. Oh, I Stop making excuses and just go to that person, whether they receive it or not, and say, hey, I wronged you. I am sorry. Can you forgive me? I think for some of us, that might be like Peter. Have to just own up to what you did. But knowing the Lord who forgives you, Whether another person forgives you or not, you can't control that. What you can control is saying, yeah, I've I've caused some damage in some relationships. This next one might be a little, little harder. Maybe for some of you, you need to be like Jesus. And maybe even as I've been talking today, wrongs have come into your mind of people who have harmed you, people who did you dirty, people who abused your trust, people who spoke ill of you, maybe people who took advantage of you, maybe it's family member, maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's someone you grew up with, maybe it's someone even in this church, I, I don't know. But maybe for some of us, like Jesus, who saw this one who denied him to his face, lied about their relationship, basically through years, three years of closeness down the toilet and said, tell Peter, Tell Peter, and he welcomed them back home. Maybe for some of us, that's what God is calling you to do, to be part of his reconciling work, that if you receive God's forgiving love for you, God is also inviting you to invite others into restored relationship with you. And if you're like me, that's a wonderful invitation to the gospel because I don't have within me something to do like that. When I think of someone who's hurt me, This is horrible to admit in front of you guys, but even I want them to hurt. (laughs) If someone who's done me wrong, I want karma to come back on that, even if I don't believe in karma. Like that's the one moment I believe in karma. Like I want them to experience some of what they caused me to experience. I don't want to forgive them, but you know what? That's a tremendous invitation to Jesus. Because when it comes to certain areas of my life, I kind of got it. If I need to be disciplined, read my Bible every day, I can kind of do that at this point in life. But to forgive someone who's harmed me, I don't have that within me, but it's a constant invitation back to the good news of Jesus.
That's what brings me to my knee saying, okay, God, I can't do this. Beyond my pay grade, Lord, cannot do this. Thank you that you can. And come to him and be invited. Because I'm not saying this flippantly or lightly, guys. I'm not saying, oh yeah, forget people like Jesus did. Uh, There's one problem, you're not Jesus. But this is why you need Jesus. Because he actually will allow you to do that in your relationships. So we read earlier where it said, tell his disciples and Peter. Let me ask you for a moment, just stand with me and close your eyes. I'm going to invite our music team to come up in a moment. As they come up here, with your eyes closed, and this is going to take a little imagination, but as you hear that verse, tell his disciples and Peter, imagine hearing your name. Tell his disciples and blank. Picture your name there. Picture the risen Savior inviting you as well to come home. Imagine him saying that though when you're at your lowest moment. Imagine him inviting you when you've done things you couldn't imagine yourself doing and you live in regret and shame and guilt, but that God still has grace for you. My hope is our church is always a place where we're just honest with God and with one another and we're honest with the things that feel broken in our lives. God doesn't want you to hide that from him. He wants you to bring that to him. Tell his disciples and Jane. Tell his disciples and Paul. Tell his disciples and Janet. Tell his disciples and Joseph. Picture your name invited as well to the grace of Jesus with all you've done that Jesus sees you and invites you to him. Let me ask you to open your eyes for a moment. We're going to sing in a little bit, but um, you see up on the screen a link to our connection card online. I want to invite you, especially if you're newer at our church, but really for anyone, what's God speaking into your life today? What's some way for you to respond to this message, to what you've heard today? Maybe for some of you, it's to join a community group, get involved with some other people. Maybe for some of you, it's that, hey, I'm a Christian and I want to get baptized now. I want to declare my faith publicly. For some of you, Maybe today is saying, I want to know more what it means to follow this Jesus Christ. Can someone meet with me and talk with me? I want to find out more. Go to this link for our online connection card and let us know how you want to respond. I would love for as many in this room to be able to do that. We want to be able to walk together with you in journey because it's not just on you to do this. So let me pray for us. Lord, help us as we go into this time of response. Lord, thank you for the message of the resurrection that nothing is final, that we've always called final, even death, and you offer us good news. I pray whatever that needs to be known as in this room, invite us into that, and may we respond in trust and faith, looking at what you've done. So thank you for the hope of the resurrection, for the hope that we have in you. So I'm going to invite you up. What we do weekly as part of our rhythms in worship is we have the Lord's Supper up on this front table. 
And if you are a Christian, if you follow Jesus, I want to invite you to come up as we were invited to in the scriptures. Take one of these elements. It symbolizes the broken body, shed blood of Jesus. Take it with you. You can go back around the outside aisles, back to your seat, and we take it all together as a symbol of union, as one community. But before you do that, I would encourage you either go to the connection card or just pray on your own or talk with someone maybe you came with, or you can just talk to God. Or I'm also going to be up the front here. We have some other people in here as well. If you want to talk more, we'd love to do that with you. But let's respond right now as we sing, as we pray. So after the first song, we're going to take the communion together, just an FYI.